Welcome back to the Healthcare Insight Podcast. I'm Eric Silverman. And I'm Jane Crosby. We were honored to have Jean Hitchcock on the podcast. She has a great career in healthcare marketing and is definitely a thought leader in the space. You know, I love talking to Jean because she's completely, it feels like she's very, very open with her perspective about what's happening in the marketplace, kind of what what is an opportunity, what maybe shouldn't be an opportunity. And, and today did not disappoint. We got to hear some great perspective from Jean on recruitment. We got to hear from some great perspective from Jean on the physician uh, liaison side of the business. Just just a lot of fun. I agree. She has fresh perspective and she's not she's not afraid to share it. There's certainly no ego there. I really, really enjoyed talking to Jean. Um, and it was unique to have some children's healthcare experience on the podcast. I don't think we've had a ton of that over the last year or so since we've been doing this, Eric. And one of the things in particular that she talked about was the U.S. News campaign strategies. And I think that's something we get asked about a lot, and I, I really enjoyed hearing her perspective on it. Yeah, really, really good perspective there about kind of balancing the expectation of outcomes, like kind of where to look for the proof of the pudding with some of the U.S. News and, and World Report stuff. There's no spoiler alerts here. You can hear it directly from Gene. The other piece that I really admired was the real focus on operational readiness for marketing and some of the kind of tools and, and, and methodology that the Gene uses around some of those things. Um, great fun. Don't take our word for it. Let's hear directly from Gene Hitchcock. Gene Hitchcock, welcome to the series. Thanks so much for joining us today. Happy to be here, guys. Thank you for the invite. Well, we're thrilled that you're here. Glad glad we could put it together. So tell us, tell us a little bit about what's going on with, with you. Tell us about what's going on in uh, in Arizona. Let's Let's hear about what's going on with your business. Well, um, about eight months ago, a former client of mine called me up and asked me if I would be willing to come back um, on a more permanent basis. I'd been there for six months about two years ago, and they asked me if I'd be willing to come back. And so I made the decision this is going to be my last rodeo. I said, OK, I'll do it. But the only reason I'm going to do it is because it's a children's hospital. I love the staff. I love the kids. And um, mm -hmm. I'm willing to do that. So the pandemic turned out to be a silver lining because I'm sitting right now in beautiful Lewis, Delaware, on the Atlantic Ocean, the Chesapeake Bay and the Broadkill River. And I go to Phoenix two weeks out of every month. So wow. I've got a place there and a place here. And it works out really well. And because of Zoom, you know, you're in touch with everybody. So it works out really well. That is good. You're just coming into high Phoenix season, too. So that'll be good. Yes. You'll be laughing at the rest of us. I see. I see. How you well, I was up. there. You know, I've been in Phoenix in August when it's 104 <laughs> at 10 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, people say, well, how do you do it? And I go, you just slow down and wear big brim hats and you have lots of sunscreen. And, you I know, like wear it. high heel shoes because the heels will go right into the tar. So, yeah. you know, you do what you got to do. But now it's going to be pretty. Well, good stuff. Good stuff. That's that's perfect. Well, so so tell me about uh, you buried the lead here. You said the last rodeo. So so, so yeah. tell us about that. <laughs> well, you know, when I left being on the inside of healthcare, I was at I was the corporate vice president for marketing and communications at MedStar Health. You know, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. Did I want another chapter? Did I want to do the same thing and it just people just started calling me up, asking me to do projects for them. So the company was born. Um, we've done really well for six years. Um, I've had a staff up to eight people, all senior people that have walked away from pretty uh, prestigious jobs who just said, you know, I don't want to work this hard. I don't want to put 80, 90 hours a week. I want to do projects. And so I'm blessed with colleagues who were all vice presidents someplace else in the United States. 
Um, and then as the company started going, I, there was a demand for interim staffing. You know, it's been taking six to eight months to recruit somebody. So they want somebody to hold things together. So I've had some great, you know, interim gigs. One was as long as two years, you know, kind of thing. So um, I've been having a ball, just having a ball. But when the pandemic came, um, it, gives, it gave you time to think about, I've done this for a really long time. I'd like to try something else, you know, so I've got some plans. And so I was all set to kind of, you know, take the horse into the sunset when Phoenix Children's called and they said, would you be willing to do it on a multi-year contract? And I said, for you guys, I would. So that's what I'm doing. So, Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's going to be like about 18 months before, you know, we fully pull the plug. But I think by then we'll have everything up and running the way we want it. Good stuff. Well, I am. Um, I'm, I'm excited for you. Maybe if you don't mind, I'd love to hear just a little bit about to the extent you can share kind of what you found when you arrived at Phoenix Kids and, and kind of what what you've learned and, and what the what the vision is. Well, it is an amazing organization for a couple of reasons. First of all, Maricopa County is the fastest growing county in the United States. And during the pandemic, I think all of California emptied into Phoenix. And so when you're the only children's hospital between Houston, Dallas, and San Diego, and you have all these families moving in, you have um, a very unique situation. So we are expanding. We will have two brand new hospitals in the next three years, and there's very few markets that can support that kind of growth. Um, we've expanded our, you know, many children's hospitals are just that major hospital for the really sick kids. And we've really expanded into primary care and um, outpatient care. And so um, to be with an organization that's ready to take what we're calling this arc of growth of geographic expansion, tremendous growth in recruitment and getting the recruitment brand out, um, really burnishing the brand is, is really exciting for me. And then if for those of you who know that geography, you know, there's the opportunity for Nevada, New Mexico and places like that to really expand. So they have come out of what I would call, um, you know, up on that curve of development. They're only 38 years old as opposed to CHOP, who's 100 and some odd years old, you know, so they're relatively young children's hospitals. So it's very exciting because it's got that energy and people are lifting hard because they really want to move the dial. So. It was such an exciting opportunity. I just wanted to be part of it, you know. That sounds really exciting, Jean. You know, one of the things that we've talked to a lot of children's hospitals about, and I think other marketers in general, is this convergence of physician and consumer marketing that's happening mm -hmm. today. I'd love to hear a little bit about your view on how you balance those two audiences for Phoenix Children's, where you have probably a population health component, the primary care, but also the really high acuity care that's driven by physician referrals, too. Yeah. And, you know, in my company, I've had four children's hospitals and all their markets are different. So like when you're in Chicago, there's four children's hospitals, technically. Um, there's a hospital in the D.C. area, uh, Children's National, great organization. They really don't have primary care. So, you know, every market's different. Everybody's taken the approach to the doctors differently. So we have employed subspecialists. We have primary care doctors, pediatricians. But we have a vast network of referring physicians, and I have said my entire career, you can take every penny away from me in marketing, but don't take away my physician liaisons. Those, 
that team brings the business, maintains the relationship, solves the problems, and gets those complex kids in, which is what we need. So we do two kinds of marketing. You know, we we market to the folks that want to be part of us but don't want to be employed. We have the employed physicians. We have the employed physicians who are subspecialists, you know, and then we have the primary care doctors. Very different lifestyles, very different tempo to their lives. And so we have to um, segment all of them in our communications and marketing to keep them involved and engaged. What are you seeing as effective in physician marketing today? I feel like it's changed so much just over the last five years or so. Well, it depends on what you're going for, right? I mean, I can tell you that our physician relations people are focused on two things, growth and retention. And as a physician, you can be a growth target for one subspecialty and a retention target for another. So what's really changed is the data that you need to have before you go and meet with that physician. So is this physician sending us all of their fetal maternal patients? Um, Maybe we're getting all the heart, but we're not getting the other. So they really have a much deeper understanding of the business and of the relationship that we currently have. And they focus only on that. We don't do any onboarding. We don't do cookies, donuts. We don't drop gifts off. We don't staff tables for recruitment. I mean, it's a business. And um, their KPIs are all driven by increasing those percentages of business they drive in and maintaining those relationships. So then you add on top of that all the new geography we're going into And their world has gotten bigger, and so we need to look at how we're going to expand their effectiveness into this new geography going on. When I think about healthcare marketing, obviously it has a tremendous nobility of purpose, and in no no way is that showing up more than than in children's hospitals and all the wonderful impact that children's hospitals have an opportunity to make in, in people's lives. One of the things that I think about is oftentimes marketers get lost in the contribution in a way that may limit how they're able to kind of share the business impacts. And, and you've done a lot of work in this space, Jean. Can you talk to us about kind of how to get a seat at the table and what to look at? You know, it's so interesting to me. I've been, I've had the, the privilege of working for some of the best systems in the United States. And then in my company, just seeing everything from small community hospitals to large academic medical centers. And everybody has their own culture. You know, you can feel it when you walk in the door. Um, So to your point, um, one of the first things I did when I started my company, I did a little research project and I interviewed 60 CEOs and I interviewed them about what they were doing in this world of population health and things like that. But we also talked about marketing because a lot of them said, you're out of marketing. I'm surprised you're doing this interview, you know, and how is that? And the one quote that I took away from that that I use every time I speak to a group of people is this guy telling me that in his entire career, he's never had his marketing person say to him, I can help you meet your bottom line. Now, yeah. I will tell you that I came to healthcare because of a personal experience my family went through. My, my brother was a trauma victim. Um, and I saw firsthand what the medical community can do and and how important it is in someone's life. So I, I, I have the zeal, if you will, of all of that, and I keep it always with me, you know. Um, but the business side is pretty clear. I mean, I always take it, if you remember many years ago, there was a book called The Servant Leader, right? Mm-hmm. So if an organization is going to give you a million dollars, you damn well better be able to tell them what they got for it. And it still surprises me the number of people who don't do that. 
I uh, wrote an article for LinkedIn a couple of months ago that got hundreds of responses because I volunteered to be a judge for those annual awards, you know, for the hospital societies. And I did it for my old stomping ground in San Diego because I knew I knew the territory, right? I'm not kidding you. People told me that they were evaluating the effectiveness of the program because the doctors told them they liked the billboards. Yeah, I, I read like, this article. Yeah, I remember this. Kidding me? In this day and age, I can't even believe you wrote that down as part of the evaluation. So you've just got to understand where the CEO and the CNO and the CFO are coming from, right? They want to know, Gene, if I give you this much money, what are we going to get for it? How are you going to fill our capacity with the volumes we want, the, the favorable payers? How are you going to fill that capacity? How are you going to address access? You know, that's another thing. I mean, what is the point of promoting a program if no one can get into it? So I've always gotten into the weeds and the operations in healthcare, mystery shopping, finding out where the bottlenecks are, and then saying to the service line, and this is one of the Hitchcock rules, you don't get a penny of marketing dollars if you don't fix the patient experience. If the patient experience is lousy, we're not giving you any money to you fix it. And I can tell you that that has been a very effective tool because there's not a physician in the world who's going to argue with it. Um, so we get into access and we get into call centers and we get into uh, feedback from patient family advisory councils because we do take it as a business and we want to always know how we can do it better. Um, so the physician liaisons I mentioned, their KPIs, I'm looking at what percentage increase in procedural or surgical volumes they've driven, right? For SEO, SEM, and all the digital marketing, we're looking for ROI on all of that stuff. And But you've got to also then take the time to make sure that you've got the CRM system or the website and all that is there to support all that so you can track it. And if you don't know anything about data analysis, then go over to the business intelligence people and borrow one of their people to do it for you. You know, you just sure. got to have the data. And so many people don't take the time to do that. They just show them the pretty pictures and it's like, I don't know how you stay on to your job. <laughs> That's a good, good perspective for sure. And look, I really admire the kind of wading into the operational side because you're right. I mean, you know, all yeah. the all the great marketing in the world, if there's no kind of opportunity for the patient experience to, to have that fall yeah. through, what does it matter? But I mean, it feels like... Um, a dangerous territory in a certain way. You know, if you're not if you're not careful, you won't have any marketing to do at all, right? Because there's so much kind of operational kind of uh, pieces to fix. T tell me a little bit about kind of your view on how to get everybody marching in the same direction and rally the troops around operational opportunities. Any any insights there that you can clue us into? Well, it's twofold. So I I use a um, I've used a criteria sheet, ten criteria on it to determine whether someone's ready to go to market, you know, good patient experience. Is it profitable? Is there a physician uh, leader who can make things happen? Is there spinoff revenue? Is it a clinical service that we do very well in? So they go through this whole thing and we rank them against each other as to which one's going to go to market. And so what you end up is you have a few items that get a lot of money and a lot of attention, and then you have a larger number that gets smaller items or attention, right? So I'll give you a great example, Eric. The other day we got called into a meeting and um, um, people don't know what a marketing plan is or they don't know what a communications plan is. They say, we need marketing. And so I'm sitting there talking and they're telling me that there there's a backlog of 7,000 patients for this service. 
I said, you don't have to market a thing. All you got to oh. do is put a sign outside that you're open. <laughs> I mean, you know. All right. And, and they, they held this meeting to talk about marketing. I go, you have the audience. You know, you have them. You have, you have the emails to get in touch with them and everything. It was wow. sports PT. So it was these business people who are lean Six Sigma, who know nothing about how the market works, who was bringing us in going, you've got your audience. I can't deliver 7,000 people to you. You've got oh, them already. You yeah. know? And so um, it's a two-pronged approach. One is, like I teach a course uh, at Phoenix. I've always taught a course called Your Healthcare Marketing MBA in a Day. At Phoenix Children's now, it's required for all the physicians and all of the operational leadership. They have to go through it. On the other hand, I sit and do in-services with people like the project management office on what marketing is. So you hit it two ways. You, you give them the basic and the theory behind it and how it works. And then when they're done with their, um, with their development, you sit down and you talk to them about how this fits into the overall mix going forward. Um, and so that's it. You got to run real fast because you got to do both at the same time. You can't just do one. And then there's always somebody who comes out of left field and says he wants a brand new program. And I don't know, they think that you just kind of snap your fingers and it makes it happen. And I go, there's no there there to you put a program together and I see a pro forma. Good. The other thing is your best friend better be the CFO. And I've given the CFO at, at Phoenix, for example, 10 scenarios for physician acquisitions or mergers. So are we acquiring a practice? Are we setting up a practice with physicians that have no patient um, caseload? And I've given her the cost for what that is for everything. So when they're doing those mergers and acquisitions, they know up front how much marketing dollars that they need to budget for that going in. So it's a combination of education, building you know relationships. And I think once people spend time with me and my staff, they get that we all came up through operations, that we're not blowing smoke through our hats, that we know what we're talking about, you know. <laughs> and then yeah. the best part, of course, is when you get the um, either the intercept videos or you just do mystery shopping and they start reading the actual comments mm -hmm. from patients about their service. Nothing moves anybody as fast as a patient saying, you would think these people would know what they were doing when we showed up, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, and and actually it connects. So, so one more question for me. Two mm -hmm. two parts to it. One, um, any favorite tools, listening, sh secret shopping, anything you're experimenting with that, that you're really digging that that our that our audience might hear. And then the second is kind of related, which is healthcare MBA in a day. Yeah. If our listeners wanted to get their physicians plugged into that or wanted to check it out themselves, like what you, you, you turned it into a productized Zoom meeting where we can all register and learn a little something. You What's know, the plan? I got to tell you, people have been asking me about that. So this started years ago when they remember about 10 years ago, there was this thing about hiring people from outside of healthcare to run the marketing departments. I do. Yeah. And then you'd get a phone call and they go, Gene, would you come in for two days and talk to this guy? Because he doesn't know anything about healthcare." So I figured this might be kind of fun to do. So I, I teamed up with two girlfriends, one who was market research and one who was culture and patient experience. And we put this coursework together for the American Hospital Association. And for a couple of years, we would do it around the country and we had tremendous success. I will tell you that 
one of the fondest days of my life was when about 200 doctors at Johns Hopkins walked in and I was like, oh, my God, you know, yeah, that's cool. Um, it was fun. And so um, I'm giving the course to Phoenix Children's as a gift when I leave. But I, I've been thinking about maybe offering it again. Um, I've got to put the band back together, go and see if they're willing to do sections one and three, because I can't do the whole thing. You can do it in eight hours or three hours, but it basically tells people what they need, what they need to do to get their product ready to go to market. And then what marketing really is through the patient experience piece. Um, favorite tools. I know this is going to sound, this is dorky, but it's, it's me and it's dorky. Okay. Um, I love intercept video interviews. And I've taken folks, put them in the lobby of some of the most prestigious hospitals and just interviewed people. And the three questions we ask are, what does this organization have to do to win your trust? How do you define quality? And if there was one thing you could change with a magic wand, what would it be? And I can tell you every single time I have done that, my audience has been blown away. Absolutely blown away. I had hmm. one CEO turn to his COO and said, fix that now. And the guy got up and left the room. I mean, you cannot argue with patients. You right. know, they're your customers. And the thing is, they never hear them. So, you know, one woman I remember at a very prestigious, um, very prestigious academic medical center said, you know, I called at seven o'clock in the morning and no one answered the phone. It's a hospital, isn't it? Aren't they open 24-7? Of course they are. Why, why isn't someone answering the phone, you know? So simple things like that, and and I've always seen people just go, oh my god, oh my god, you know. So that's what I use. I love mystery shopping. I love intercept um, videos that speak to the people who are designing programs. Good stuff. Thanks, Jean. You know, one thing I really wanted to ask you about because we're hearing about it so much right now ahead of the U.S. News voting period. For children's hospitals in particular, the reputation scores and campaigns seem very, very important. What are you doing at Phoenix Kids that's working, and what is your transparent view on U.S. News reputation campaigns? Well, I can give you my transparent view because I'm still the owner of my company and I don't work for Phoenix Children's. <laughs> um, U.S. News and World Report got a, got a good gig going a couple of years ago, and they figured out how to monetize it. You know, when I had young children, they were the place you went to check out colleges. Then they realized that the real money was in healthcare, And then everybody and his brother got into it. When I, I spent 22 years in Michigan working in healthcare, And when J.D. Powers, who I always do is the person who rated cars, got into healthcare, I said, you know, I could give the Hitchcock Award for $50,000. It would be cheaper than everybody. And it would mean as much, right? Children's hospitals have a very highly attuned affinity for U.S. News and World Report. Getting your building wrapped with the banner that says you've won all 10 badges is a real sign of pride. But I will tell you that internally at Phoenix Children's, a lot of us have had the conversations around, you know, the validity of it, the methodology. But the other thing is, you know, marketing and comms can do just so much. It has a lot of it has to do with the research and the presentations and stuff. So we really got our business intelligence people to break down all the data for us. So by service line, they were really understanding how their scores went and why their scores went where they were. And to be honest with you, the reputation piece is getting smaller and smaller and the ability to influence it is getting more and more difficult. 
Um, so I, I think it's a partnership with your docs. They've got to step up and you've got to support them. But it's those meaningful things that really drive those um, numbers if that is a benchmark that you value. Okay. And, and where I am, it is valued very much by the CEO. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like the the successful organizations with U.S. News are putting a lot of attention towards the outcome side of it. Is there an ROI associated with taking the initiative to invest in the outcomes, invest in the reputation scores, and really try to move the needle? Or if you had it your way, would you say, no, this isn't worth it. We don't need to be on the list. Um, you know, there are some vendors who have approached us with the magic pill, they say, to help you with that. I find it a long reach between their product and the result. Let me just say that. Um, the outcomes piece, if I was going to evaluate ROI on something like that from a marketer's perspective, it would be around my recruitment brand. It would be how strong is our brand vis-a-vis CHOP or whatever to recruit XYZ kind of doctor. Um, I would do it around recruitment because it's too hard to try to make the the connection between that and either volumes or um, expansion of programs. But the, we do all compete on a national level for physicians. And so that's the place that I would really try to measure, you know, did we get somebody versus somebody else? And when you do the exit interview was the reason they did, chose it because of, of our reputation. That would be very important to me. So, and we that do a lot sense. of work on recruitment branding. I mean, that's a biggie for us because we're competing with everybody for the docs and the nurses. So that's really good perspective. And it is such a challenge for a lot of the clients that we're talking to today, not just in the children's space too, mm -hmm. but, but other hospitals. One thing that you mentioned to Eric along the lines of, you know, healthcare as a business was the reporting side of it. One thing I was interested in asking you is, you know, what comes first as a marketer is trying to get the investment in new tools and marketing funds. What, what do you invest in first? Do you invest in the tools to measure and track ROI or do you market first and prove that you can get the leads that are worth measuring in the first place? You know, it depends. It depends on where the, let's take a, let's take a service line like heart. Okay. Heart's usually the number one or two service line at a children's hospital, right? So did we bring a bunch of new docs on board or have we expanded services, you know, things like this. And then you want to say, you know, I hate to use this saying, but, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze? How much should we spend to get what? And if you can, if you can state that in a way that you can measure, it might just be volumes, then you don't need to spend a lot of money on tools because you're going to have the volume information. Now, on the other hand, when you're looking at new movers and driving people to primary care, you know, having a system where you can identify how many people you reached out to and how many new primary care doc patients you brought in, it's not even possible to do that manually, you know. So you got to have the tools for some things and other things you can actually work with operations to just monitor your numbers going forward. You know, recruitment, you mentioned it's a big focus. It's a huge focus for, for everybody, right? I mean, mm -hmm. whether you're in the provider side, whether you're on the agency side like us, I mean, you know, recruitment is, is, is a major mm -hmm. initiative. You know, when I think about it, I think about 
the things we can control as marketers. And I think about the brand that we're putting out as an organization. I think about the culture that we're promoting through the stories of successes and impacts mm-hmm. on people's lives. And and then, you know, to a certain extent, there's the kind of targeting and tool piece of, of how you're reaching out. But but any any kind of best practice or kind of secret sauce from the Hitchcock library of <laughs> recruiting strategy that you can, can talk to us and our listeners about? You know, it was interesting. I, um, HR departments, I'm go- okay, this is a generalization, so it's generally untrue or true, depending on how you look at it, right? <laughs> some, some HR departments are very innovative. And others are more of a process bureau. You know, they're they're processing your requests for PTO or whatever. But the ones who are open to new ideas can really can really do some good stuff. So I'll tell you some things that have worked in some markets. They wouldn't necessarily work in all markets. Okay. We're finding right now that there's a lot of nurses leaving places where there was civil unrest, Portland, Milwaukee, Chicago, whatever. That would not be areas that I would have gone to traditionally from Phoenix, sure. you know, but we're finding that's happening more and more. The other thing is activate your alumni, um, your alumni network. So, for example, if you've got eight docs that graduated from Emory, then you make sure that you're talking to as many Emory docs and you're mm-hmm. saying, by the way, Dr. Hitchcock, who you went to school with, is here, you know, this kind of thing. And you do the same with nursing. OK, you do the same with PTs. People forget that there are internal social networks that people have that they really value. And then, of course, our, our um, I don't know what to call them today. It's been an interesting week for Facebook. You know, all the groups on Facebook that people are involved in, whether it's um, new moms or, um, you know, OR nurses or whatever it is, you really got to get in step with the new media. You really have to understand how to talk to your audience And then the other thing is, I think we're in the middle of a tsunami change in terms of um, people looking at work in a different way. Um, You know, I will be the first one to tell you that I I came from a middle class family that valued hard work and you you got rewards for working hard or whatever. And I I have a very strong work ethic. Um, I admire people who come and talk about work-life balance. I've never had it, but you know, (laughs) if you can, good, good for you. But I think the pandemic made some people at a much younger age than they normally would have to sit back and think, am I going to go back to what I had? And is that what I want? And is now the time for me to make a change? And you see it everywhere. I mean, when I got back to flying, you could see that the airlines weren't staffed. Um, a major hotel that I, I'm very fond of in Phoenix, they used to have 1,200 staff. They reopened with 400, you know. Wow. So there's a lot of people that are looking at work differently. And I think from a recruitment perspective, you got to get really, really into the why of that. And it's yeah. important going forward. So. Um, and it's a time of great change right now because of everything that's been happening. It's great advice. Yeah, just just to add to the anecdote, I'm on hour three and a half of waiting on American Airlines to call me back because of their call center staffing levels. So it's pretty. It's everywhere for sure. You it's know, Gene, it's it's great. It's great advice. You know, the mm-hmm. the kind of geographic focus piece I think is is really meaningful. The alumni network piece is 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 excellent as well. So, great great perspective. Thanks so much for joining us today and offering your insights. 